0: Okay, kids, you guys can come on down here. There we go. All right. Okay. Say this to you, too, as the kids are coming down here. Uh we like hearing kids in the service so don't ever feel bad if that baby's talking or anything like that bring it on okay that baby ain't bothering nobody so that's that's a sign of a good church and a healthy church so always remember that okay uh we love you babies um this morning's a little weird for me because I was telling Joe beforehand I don't like it like I only do this maybe once a year where I'm not preaching out of a book of the Bible and I don't like have a specific text to use and so I don't like preaching this way it's really weird uh, but this morning just kind of knowing that that it was Labor Day and everything uh, I just kind of decided that that what we would do is just talk a little bit about the next year and so what I want you to know is that first off if you're a guest we're glad you're here but really what I'm going to kind of do this morning is address the family is going to address those of you who, who go to this church or attend this church, or maybe you're thinking about attending this church. This will be a good sermon for you. But just to kind of talk about uh, where I think we need ahead uh, in the next year, because my mindset, I don't know if yours is like this, but mine is, is that after Labor Day is when the year starts for me, right? Especially if you live in a small town, because everything kind of revolves around school. And so January is never the new year for me. It's like, this is the new year for me, this is kind of when everything's going. And so for the next year, uh, I'm talking about from from now until May. But just to tell you about last year, man, uh, nobody really knew what to expect last year as we kind of got going again and as things kind of took off. But God was so good uh, to this church. Uh, He was so good to this church. Uh, I I still just uh, can't get my mind around the fact that we met in the gym there for a little while. Nobody showed up and then we came back in here and everybody was just like, dying to get corona I guess because the first Sunday back like the balcony's packed and I'm like I thought y'all would spread out a little bit more but now y'all just went up there anyways right uh and and it was just like we just kept growing and so like like God was so good to us by the end of the year last year we had so many kids up here on Wednesday nights that that we were all pulling our hair out right the last night of the year we had a fight it was great um (laughs) I mean the very last night it was awesome me and Dustin were like oh my gosh um the student ministry grew joe i think i'm right but last may the last night of the year was your highest attended night correct i think so and usually you shrink as the year goes on joe just grew all right we got to go to church camp this year we missed it got to go back and uh it was cool to be able to go back and do that again uh uh, by god's grace we got these new screens in this year we're able to do some painting here in the church um and so it's just been a good year it's been a good summer and god's really been good to this church uh, our attendance is up. We averaged 170 through the summer. I mean, four years ago, we were averaging 110, and I thought that was a great summer, right? So 170, so, so God's been so good to us. And, and what I want to tell you right off is don't, don't, don't give me credit, don't, don't give Joe credit, okay? It's, it's neither one of us. Uh, we're just two beggars trying to tell other beggars where to get the food, right? That, that's all we're doing. Uh, you know, in fact, I didn't even preach all summer, and you guys still kept coming. So it's not about one person. Uh, and it never should be about one person. Uh, it's about the Lord and the gospel and what he's doing, okay? Um, Joe read this at the beginning of the service, but Paul says this in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5 through 9. He says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Right, if you remember, Apollos was a really gifted speaker, right? And everybody loved Apollos, but then Paul was the one who planted the church. And so some people loved Paul, and, and Paul saying, hey, it doesn't matter who the guy is. He said, those guys are just servants whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered but God gave the growth. So neither who, he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and each will receive his wages according to his labor, for we are God's fellow workers, you're God's field. you're God's building. So remember, God gets the glory, we've got to keep it that way, right? And so he's blessed our church, and I think he's going to continue to do that, but what I want to talk about is just four things this morning. Four things as we get ready for the new year that I think if we'll commit to these four things, I think that, that God will continue to bless us, all right? So, so the first one is this, right? And you're gonna be shocked by this. The first thing we need to commit to is the gospel. We've gotta to commit to the gospel. We talk about the gospel every week. We preach the gospel every week. It's the, a message that as Christians, we have to cling to throughout our lives. And see, there's a lot of talk these days, especially, um, especially in our world, about being relevant right about churches being relevant and doing all these relevant things to reach the culture and, and that's fine I mean we, we don't want to be like you know way behind the times but at the same time when you put so much emphasis on being relevant you push the gospel out right you take that message and you remove parts of it to make it more palatable to people so that they'll come back right? Or you get real gimmicky in what you do so that people will come for the gimmick. And the more gimmicks you do, you got to keep topping the last gimmick and you just can't, you get to a point where you can't do it anymore, right? And that's not what we're called to do. We're called to preach the gospel. Mark Dever in his book, Nine, Nine Marks of a Healthy Church, which I'm borrowing heavily from today, all right? He talks about a couple things from the gospel, right? The first one is this. He wants us to know is that the good news of the gospel is not that we are all okay, the good news of the gospel is not that we are all okay, because the truth is, is we're not okay, are we? We're broken, we're sinful. Our sin separates us from God, our Creator, and we, on our own, cannot get back into right standing with God. The sin that we have is offensive to God, and it has infected all of creation. And I don't think oftentimes we see sin as the big deal as it is, right? We sin and we think God's up there just going, ha, oh, ha, 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 silly humans. Just breaking my laws all the time, you guys, right? But the Bible never presents God as this passive creator or this passive uh, uh, God. But in fact, it presents him as a jealous lover who wants all of us. So for us to think that we can disregard him sometimes, set him and his weight aside when it suits us, shows us that we've never fully understand the nature of our relationship with God. So, so we can't claim to be believers and yet knowingly, repeatedly, happily break his laws. But this is where we all find ourselves, is it Not? We, we, we've all crossed the line that God has rightly set. We've all pursued our own desires. We've all went after the things that we want. We break God's laws again and again, and because we're dead in our trespasses and sins, we can't do anything about it. So we can't have this I'm okay, you're okay mindset. We have to understand that our sin is serious, that our problems are not that I've messed up my own life or that I've failed to realize my potential. But our problem is that we've not sinned against ourselves or someone else but we've sinned against God and see when we get that it'll dawn on us that that we rightly deserve God's wrath and we rightly deserve God's judgment that we deserve death we deserve hell we deserve separation from God we deserve spiritual alienation so the gospel is not that we're all okay we're not okay and the second thing is is that the good news of the gospel is not simply that Jesus wants to be our friend all right, we kind of boil it down to that sometimes that Jesus is just up there. He wants to be your buddy, right? And is there a part of that that's true? Yes, but check this out. We're separated from God. The only way to be made right with God is through perfection. We're incapable of that, but God sent his son to Jesus to do what we couldn't do. The New Testament talks about how Christ deals with our sins. And it says that he justifies us. That's a legal term, meaning not guilty, meaning that our punishment, the punishment for our sins, has been transferred to Jesus, that Jesus did what we could not do. The New Testament tells us that that Christ has disarmed the powers and authorities. His work is described as redemption, a purchase in which our freedom is restored. It's described as reconciliation, where conflict between two parties is resolved. It's described as propitiation, the satisfying of God's wrath so that God can deal with sinners in terms of his love rather than his wrath. Mark Devers says there's no getting around the fact that at the center of Christ's ministry was his death on the cross, and at the heart of that death was God's certainty that he was effectively dealing with the claims of both his love and his justice. So when I say that the good news of the gospel isn't simply that Jesus wants to be our friend, you see what I'm saying To say that Jesus is just our friend is just to give him minor praise because as you can see, he is so much more than that. He was the lamb that was slain. He's our redeemer, the one who made peace between us and God and he's taken our guilt upon himself and he's conquered our most deadly enemy and he satisfied the well-deserved wrath of God for us. And a message like that then calls for a radical response from us. So the gospel isn't an additive that you can make your already good life better, right? It's not like sugar you can throw in your coffee, just kind of sweeten the pot a little bit. It's a message of wonderful good news for those who know and realize their desperation before God. And what's required of us is repentance and belief to turn away from our sin and turn towards Jesus. I've used this illustration a bunch, but it's so good. You're in a room with two walls. On one wall's your sin, on the other wall's Jesus. It's turning your back on your sin and turning to Jesus. It means we renounce our sin. We turn away from it. We don't cradle it. We don't rock it. We don't hold on to it. We turn away from it, and we trust Jesus, and then we believe, and that's not just mentally saying, yeah, I believe, right? We we, we can't satisfy God's demands on our own, so no matter how morally we live, we can't trust in ourselves even a little bit. We have to rely on God fully and trust in Christ alone for our salvation. Then, You and I take the message of the gospel and we proclaim it. The gospel is ultimately news that's proclaimed. It's not news about what you've done. It's news about what Jesus has done for us. So if we're going to be the church that God's called us to be, then we have to take the good news of the gospel as our only hope. It's the only hope for this community. It's the only thing that's gonna right wrongs. It's the only thing that can bridge divides in the community. It's the only thing that levels the playing field where people from all walks of life can come together because the ground's level at the foot of the cross, amen? We're all a bunch of bad guys who need Jesus and that's what the gospel does. So we have to be committed to the gospel, right? That's the first one. Here's the second one. The second one is if we need a, a commitment to biblical theology, to biblical theology, so biblical theology is seeing that although the Bible has 66 individual books, those books are all telling one story, right? So for, for all its characters, all its plot lines, all its authors, the unifying theme of the Bible is the one true God making, losing, rescuing, and keeping one people all for his glory. That's the plot line of the Bible. It's the story of how God loves his people and he will do anything to bring them back. So we have to read the Bible that way, right? That all these stories come together to point to a bigger story and that story is Jesus, right? It shows us that the God of the Bible, and this is the one I really want you to hear. Here's why we need to be committed to it is that the God of the Bible makes promises and he keeps them. He keeps them. That God will continue to care for us and that his continuing care is based not on our faithfulness but on his faithfulness right? We're, we're horrible at keeping promises to God, aren't we? If you ever grew up, went to church camp, you went down to the altar and cried and said, I'm never going to do it again, Jesus, and then you turned around and did it again, right? We are horrible at keeping promises. We never hold our end of the bargain, but listen to me. God always does. He always does, and this is why it's important, because every one of us looks at the world around us right now, and we're just like, oh my gosh, it's falling apart. We're losing. It doesn't seem like anything good is happening, and what we tend to think of is that think is that the that the world is just this giant game of paintball against good versus evil, and we're really hoping that good's going to win out. But what the Bible shows us is that the outcome doesn't hang in the balance; it's already been decided. It's already over. God is sovereign, right? So, so next week we'll jump right back into the Book of Revelation and listen. No matter how you interpret the book, we all interpret the same way. Jesus has already won. Jesus has already taken a people, created a people, preserved a people, and he'll carry that people through to the end. That Jesus wins the day. So every time you read the Bible, you read it knowing that God is a promise-keeping, faithful God, and he has said from the beginning that he will keep his promises, and he's promised that one day he will come back, and he will wipe away every tear from every eye, and he will right all wrongs. So we maintain a commitment to the gospel to the good news of what Jesus has done. But then we remember biblical theology and that the outcome doesn't hang in the balance. And then those two things lead us to the third thing. The third thing is a commitment to the local church. A commitment to the local church. I'm a big church guy. I love the church. Charles Spurgeon put it this way. He says, give yourself to the church. You who are members of the church have not found it perfect, and I hope you feel almost glad that you have not. If I had never joined a church till I had found one that was perfect, I would never have joined one at all. Amen. And the moment I did join it, if I had found one, I should have spoiled it for it would have not been a perfect church after I had become a member of it. I love that. Still imperfect as it is, it is the dearest place on earth to us. All who have given themselves to the Lord should as speedily as possible also give themselves to the Lord's people. How else is there to be a church on the earth? If it is right for anyone to refrain from membership in the church, it is right for everyone. And then the testimony for God would be lost to the world. I love that line that the church is the dearest place on earth. See, the local church, this gathering we have right here, is an amazing gift that God gives us. And He expects us as followers to be committed to the church. After Jesus rose from the dead, He appeared to the disciples, right? And He had this long conversation with Peter. If you remember at this point, Peter denied Jesus three times. He was kind of hanging his head. And and I love it because Jesus pulls him aside and he has a little talk with him. And in John chapter 21, verses 15 through 19, listen to what Jesus says. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him a third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said it to him a third time. Do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, then feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you are old, you will stretch out your hands and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. This he said to show by what kind of death he was to glorify God. And after saying this, he said to him, follow me. So three questions from Jesus, three responses from Peter. And after this, Peter was ready to put his love into action and to care deeply about the flock of God. And I think we all like Peter in the Bible, don't we? because we're all just like him we are just like him we are all filled with so many good intentions and botched follow-throughs <laughs> i know i am i'm gonna do it i'm gonna do it and then i don't follow through i put my foot in my mouth all the time right got a great story about it i'll talk to you about it yesterday it was wonderful we really do love jesus but we struggle to take that and put it into action we're, we're proud we, we enjoy our independence and the church that, and all that comes with it sometimes just feels like baggage to us, doesn't it? Man, I don't really want to go there again. I don't want to be around all those people again. The church just kind of slows me down. There's, there's so much more important things I could be doing on Sunday. And a lot of us do that until life comes at us, right? Until the world falls out from underneath our feet and all of a sudden we need Jesus and we need his church. See, Jesus wants us to love his church not just when we need it, but always. Like, I love the church, and I don't love the church just because I'm a pastor, right? They're like, well, yeah, but i are your pastor. You're supposed to say you love the church. That's not why I love the church. I love the church because of what the church has meant to me, right? When, when I was a kid growing up at First Baptist Dalhart, I went to church by myself, Right, my, my parents' marriage was not good, and so I drug myself to church. I got a ride to church, and that church became my family. That church loved me. That church cared for me. That church saw that I was taken care of in so many different ways. That church was dear to me. As a husband, as a young husband, and a minister, uh, FBC Olton was dear to me because of the grace, patience, kindness that those people extended to me as I learned to be a husband and a minister and before I left that place, a young father, Right? FBC Plains was a training ground for tough ministry. If you've never been around that part of the world, those are hard-headed people, okay? they are, And everybody wants to do it their way. Up here, nobody wants to do anything. Down there, everybody wants to do it, but they want to do it their way. And that church taught me a lot of lessons. I'll never forget. I remember my mother-in-law telling me before I left, well, now you won't go to another church and go, well, I've never seen that before. You've seen it all, right? And I have. This job here still scares the life out of me right? And the only reason I can do it is because I know so many of you in this room love me. You watch out for me. You pray for me. You encourage me. And I'm grateful for you. Mariah and I would never have been able to walk through the last six years of our life without the love, support, and care of this church. See, the church really is the dearest place on earth. And God loves His church. And if we've been saved and redeemed by Jesus, we're called to love his church as well. I love that right after Jesus restores Peter, the, the scene shifts to Acts chapter one, right? Jesus goes back up in heaven and, and the Holy Spirit falls on 120 young believers. And if you remember Peter, he, he's, he's not the same Peter in Acts as he was, right? The Holy Spirit falls on him and Peter proclaims this powerful sermon about what Jesus has done. And Peter from that point on chooses to love what Jesus loved the most, The church and he tends the flock, and hear me, you and I are sitting in this room thousands of years later because Peter got a hold of that message. That's why we're here. Spurgeon finishes his quote by saying this. Listen to this. He says, as I have already said, the church is faulty, but that is no excuse for you not joining it. If you are the Lord's, you need to join the church nor need your own faults keep you back for the church is not an institution for perfect people but a sanctuary for sinners saved by grace who though they are saved are still sinners and need all the help they can derive from the sympathy and guidance of their fellow believers the church is the nursery for God's weak children where they're nourished and grow strong it is the fold for Christ's sheep the home for Christ's family this is a great church but it's an imperfect church but it's a church that's dear. And I hope that you'll see that. I hope that you'll commit yourself to loving this church. So we need a commitment to the gospel. We need a commitment to biblical theology. And we need a commitment to the local church. And then here's the fourth one, all right? You're gonna love this one. We need a commitment to tithing. Oh boy. Pastor's gonna talk about money. Yes, he is. Right? It's not because I want your money, right? It's not because I think you're so loaded, right? Just give me your money. That's not what we're talking about. Tithing ties all three of these things together, like tithing is a gospel issue. So Jesus Christ was generous in laying down his life for us, and it only makes sense that those of us who are believers are then generous with the good gifts that God's given us. If we see the Bible as one big story of God loving his people and keeping his promises, then that motivates us to give to ensure that that message continues to go forth not only here in Spearman, but beyond to our country and to the world. If we see the church as the dearest place on earth, we give to support her because we love her, right? So, so just like our families, we work to support our families because we love them. It's no different with the church. Jesus talked about this, Matthew 6. Um, 19 through 20 he says do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal for where your treasure is there your heart will be also so Jesus wants us to know that our focus shouldn't just be on collecting wealth now he's not telling you not to save either okay Dave Ramsey so don't get mad at me that's not what he's saying he's focusing on the heart of the issue of money he says you're not to collect but you're to give Right? So what's the corny preacher line? You've heard it a million times, right? You can tell a whole lot about people by looking at their wallets, right? And it's corny. I cringe when I hear it, but there is some truth to it. Where our money goes reflects our hearts and our priorities. So we can tell a lot about ourselves by looking at our Amazon account, by our debit card statement, our streaming bill, and on and on and on we go. I think it's accurate to say that. And I think what happens a lot of times in church is that we develop this mindset that says, uh, it's kind of consumeristic, right? So if the church does what I want it to, then I'll give. If they don't do what I want it to, I'm not going to give, right? And we're guilty. I've been guilty of that. And to be honest, over the last few weeks, Joe's been working really, really hard, uh, trying to get some budget stuff taken care of and just really uh, doing a wonderful job with that. And one of the things that we have both realized is I don't think most people in church even know how a budget works. Right? So just real quick, a little budget 101 for dummies, all right? If we set a budget of $400,000, it doesn't mean that there's $400,000 in the bank. Right? I think sometimes people think the general fund's just this bottomless pit of money that's like, oh yeah, just pull money out and use it. Well, the problem is, is that money's not there. Okay, we're saying the things that we want to do and all the things that need to be done around here, upkeep and all those things are probably going to cost about this, but if we don't take in that much money, we can't do all the things that we set the budget to do, right? Is everybody good with that? And so every week, I'm going to tell you something that you can do. It's awesome. Mary does this every week. In the bulletin, it says weekly budget, and it tells you how much we need every week. It tells you how much we have gotten, well, every month, excuse me, how much we've gotten every month, and then how much is in the account now. Right? Now listen, God's been great to this church. I I think I'm right when I say this, Mary. We're probably in better shape than we've been in a very, very long time, just weekly and monthly. Um, The best I know we've been since I've been here. So, So God's been so good to us. But what we have to always understand is, is that when we give, it funds the mission. When we give, we're able to feed kids on Wednesday night. We're able to have great children's ministry and kids' ministry. When we give, we're able to send money to Mary Hill Davis and to missionaries. Uh, When we give, we support a couple of church plants. We're able to go support them. We support a missionary in Guatemala. When we give, all that money goes to feed the mission, okay? And so we've got to continue to be uh, uh, steadfast in our giving, because the command is to give. And what does the Bible say? The command is to give from a generous heart. And giving is a true indicator of the type of member that God's called us to be. 2 Corinthians 9, 7, Paul says, Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So Paul's telling the Corinthian church that they shouldn't be reluctant in their giving. So if they're giving, but at the same time they're going, ah, right, and they're trying to hold on to it, they're being reluctant givers. He's saying, "No, no, no! Be, uh, be the kind of giver that you give with total abandon." Now, hear me. This isn't giving out of legalism. Paul calls it necessity. We're not giving to please God. We're not giving to try to earn His love. We're giving because He's already graciously showered us with His love, and in giving we find great joy. If you just give out of this legalistic uh, obligation, you'll resent giving, right? You'll get angry with it. You'll be like, oh, i got to keep giving this money. i got to keep doing this. It'd be like paying bills. That's not what Paul's getting at. He says to be a cheerful giver. The Greek word for cheerful is the same word in which we get hilarious, and it's only used one time right there in the Bible when it comes to giving. It's like Paul's saying that we should just be giving going, ha, 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 ha I just can't quit giving money away. I don't know why I'm giving it away. I don't have it to give away, but I'm, just, I'm, just, I'm giving my money away, Right? That giving should be one of the greatest joys of our lives. What's the thing you teach your kids every Christmas? It's better to give than receive there, little Timmy, right? And that's the truth. There is great joy in giving. And it's the same with church. We're to give. We don't withhold our tithe. We give. So we give not out of this legalistic checklist, but out of the joy for what God has done for us in Jesus Christ, okay? So four things. We need to be committed to the gospel, to biblical theology, to the local church, and to giving. And so as we, we kind of wrap up this morning as we enter a new year, what, what area of your life is God working on? Maybe you came in here today and you've never heard the gospel. Maybe you've never heard it said that you're not okay, that you need a righteousness outside of yourself. And maybe today, as we talked about what Jesus has done, something's happened in your heart, and the Holy Spirit is calling you to himself. Today, don't leave here without talking to somebody and getting that taken care of. Some of us, like we looked at last week, we just need to work out our salvation Man, we're already saved. God's already done the work. Now we just need to unpack it. We need to swim in it. We need to really figure out what it means to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Some of us just need to be more committed to biblical theology. We we need to see how it all fits together. We just need to take a deep breath as we look at the world around us and go, okay, it looks crazy, but the outcome doesn't hang in the balance. God's already won. And we can rest in that, and we can continue to share the gospel knowing that the more people that hear it, the more people get to go with us one day when he comes back. And then finally, some of us just need to stop holding back, and we need to give. And we do all of this, not to earn God's love, but because of the great love that he lavished on us through his son, Jesus Christ. So would you pray with me this morning? Father, I thank you for this day, and I thank you for this church, and I thank you so much for for what what you've done and how good you've been to this church and we just ask that you just continue to bless us father i pray that we would keep the main thing the main thing and that would be the good news of the gospel of jesus christ that every week that would be the message we proclaim not not some not some gimmick um, that we don't get lost in just trying to be relevant but that we would proclaim with boldness the good news of the gospel father help us all to rest in your promises. The outcome doesn't hang in the balance. You've already won. So help us to remind ourselves of that. Help us to be committed to this church and to love this church. And although she's not perfect, Father, it is a dear, sweet place and that it become a place that we sink our lives into and that lives be transformed and changed in this place because of the love of its members. And finally, help us all just have a commitment to giving. Um, Father, not just to the church, but just in our lives, Father, to give to others and to care for others. I thank you so much. I thank you for the, the folks that are here this morning. I pray that you be with us now as we stand and sing. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. Would you please stand?